This week, the diabolical panel of peril take on the Cape Crusaders. Will there be spoilers? Look out! Welcome to Diabolical, the show where four long-suffering friends dissect film's most dastardly schemes, then try to improve them. I'm your host, Ben Steinson, and this week's movie is 1966's Batman. So, don your utility belt, and let's get Diabolical. Today I'm joined by our panel of peril. Introduce yourselves and tell us your favourite Batman villain. Hello, I'm Adam Turner, and my favourite Batman villain is Dr. Freeze. Mr. Freeze, idiot. He never got his doctorate in freezing. Doctor, isn't he? <laughs> no. He's a doctor, isn't he? No, no. Isn't he? No, Mr. Freeze. He dropped out of medical school and went into the freezer business. <laughs> <laughs> or either that, or he's such a good doctor, like on Casualty, when they're so good that they become Mr. again. Chief Doctor. I thought he invented something to do with the uh, you know, fridges. <laughs> Hello. I'm Adam Turner, and my favourite Batman villain is Mr. Freeze. Hello, I'm Craig Morris, and tainted though it is now, my favourite Batman villain is Mr. Freeze. Ah. Probably for very different reasons to you. Very different reasons, yeah. And I'm Gareth Slade, and my favourite Batman villain is Old Father Time, because he catches up with us all, even Batman. <laughs> Jesus Christ. He's not as, not as cool as uh, <laughs> Clock King, though, is he? Clock King is my favourite <laughs> clock-themed Batman villain. <laughs> Maybe we should, if we start again, can we ask everybody's favourite clock-themed Batman villain? It'll narrow down the pool a bit. <laughs> isn't isn't there just a, a, a Batman villain just called literally uh, Croc Man and then Man Bat as well? There's Killer Croc, yeah, and, and Man Bat, yeah. Yeah, Killer Croc, yeah, <laughs> Man Bat. <laughs> There's also Batman Bat for uh, the real hardcore if you want to get into the real obscure yeah he's a bat who is a man who is a bat so what batman is a a man who dresses like a bat a man bat is a man who is a bat but batman bat is a bat who is (laughs) is that like man bear pig (laughs) yeah (laughs) half man half bat half man (laughs) so it's a bat-sized man who is a bat well he's not real so i need some time to think about the details (laughs) (laughs) There is Batmite, who is the Mr. Mixpitlick of Batman. He's like a little uh, imp that dresses like Batman and is his biggest fan. Actually, he's my favourite Batman villain, Batmite. There we go. He's a villain, but he's Batman's biggest fan. Well, he's a villain in that, like Mr. Mixpitlick, (laughs) he's a complete... It's like tricksters, are they? Is that what they are? Yeah. Trickster, yeah. He puts Batman in like infuriating positions and uh, makes him jump through hoops and stuff and puts him in danger to, to prove that he's the greatest hero to sort of test him. Right. Well, that was lovely. I think you should keep that pause in. Cause <laughs> it was great. Just maybe add a whistle, I guess. <laughs> oh, sorry. You finished. <laughs> Do 
Later, they'll be competing for the title of this week's Most Diabolical. But first, let's take a closer look at this week's movie. 1966's Batman, starring Adam West and Burt Ward, was the first big screen outing for The Cape Crusader, released just two months after the final episode of the first season of the smash hit TV series. It was directed by Leslie H. Martinson, a prolific TV director whose other credits include episodes of Mission Impossible, The Brady Bunch, The Six Million Dollar Man, and Chips. 1966 also saw the release of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. One Million Years B.C., Michael Caine's Alfie, and of course no one's favourite film, Carry On Screaming. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf was also released that year, going on to be nominated in every eligible category at the following year's Academy Awards. Elsewhere, the Star Trek television show premiered on NBC. London was officially declared the swinging city in a Time magazine cover story. Muhammad Ali fought and beat Henry Cooper for the second time and England won a football trophy that would lead to an unprecedented 50-odd years of whining. In the movie, Batman and Robin battle the Penguin, Catwoman, the Joker and the Riddler, who have joined forces in a dastardly bid for money, power and world domination. Using all the comically thematic tricks at their disposal, including an alarming amount of exploding marine life, the fiendish four seek to eradicate the dynamic duo, who they see as the only ones who can foil their despicable scheme to hold the United World Organization Security Council leaders to ransom using a newfangled dehydrator machine. So what did you think of the movie? I've always been a fan. I think it's one of the greatest comedy movies of all time. It's uh, better than the TV series as well. It's much sharper and funnier. I really enjoyed it. Dylan really enjoyed it too. But... What I would say is a little goes a long way and I think it works better in the TV show format because by the end, I think the joke's kind of worn itself a bit thin, personally. And you, It's that weird thing where you recognise it's still funny but you can feel yourself forcing yourself to laugh for some reason. Yeah. Like, I, I don't yeah, know. I like, agree as well, yeah. The reaction's just not there anymore because you kind of become numb to the same thing over and over again. But on the, on the whole, I did really enjoy it. It's also great technically. Like it's a really good looking movie, right? And um, you know the the set design is great. The costumes are great. The lighting's great. The uh, the use of Dutch angles makes it feel a bit arty. It's very like a it's a piece of sort of pop art. The use of the phrase Dutch angles is very arty in itself. <laughs> to my <laughs> in my in my mind, I don't have a clue what a Dutch angle is. I know what a Dutch rudder is, but that's something entirely separate. <laughs> Are you familiar with Dutch ovens? Oh, yeah. Well, my missus is. <laughs> uh, anywho. <laughs> yeah, I'd agree with Gaz. Um, it, at first, I was like, straight away from the, the, the opening credits, it's like, it sets you up saying, come on, we're here to have a laugh, essentially. And that's what you do. But then as you go through it, it's like, they, they beat the, the um, they beat them all, obviously. You know, I'm not, that's no spoiler alert there, by the way. And then at the end, it's just dragging on. They've got to re uh, do the end bit. And I'm like, oh, this could have ended like 10, 15 minutes ago. And I was just like, I've got to get to the end now, just in case there's anything that happens that we, we're going to talk about on here. But yeah, it, otherwise it was all right. It was quite enjoyable. Yeah, I did, I did quite like it. But yeah, definitely better as a series. And I remember watching it as a series thinking, you know, this is really good. And I can see the elements they took from that film and then applied it to the, the series. And it was much better 
a much sharper, and then that's why it was so successful. It was brilliant. Well, the first season of the, the show did come first before the movie, but I, I think I know what you mean. When I was a kid, and and this was repeated on Channel Four periodically, I used to find myself kind of find it dull towards the end. But this time, when I when I sat down and watched it, I just enjoyed it from start to finish. I thought it was just pure escapism. It was kind of the perfect like light antidote to everything that's going on in the world now and whereas you know kind of modern superhero films i feel a bit heavy and so i thought this was just it was just pure escapism and i really enjoyed it from start to finish i think the end is one of the the funniest bits as well when uh, they just sort of slink off after having fucked up rehydrating the the council members (laughs) it's genius (laughs) hopefully this will turn out to be one of the greatest things that ever happened to humanity let's leave Quietly. <laughs> Sneak away before anyone asks any questions. And then it has uh, the end and then the living end. <laughs> what moments did you did you enjoy, guys? I've got quite a few notes. I've to be honest, since I watched this, I watched it about three weeks ago now, I think. Is that when we last recorded? Yeah. I've watched I went through my letterboxed diary and I've watched twelve films since this. So yeah. my memory is a bit foggy so my first note says what are batman and robin doing in the opening credits they're just wandering about a bit aimlessly i think it's that that's so great it's just he's got a flat cap and a coat on he's just wandering in front of a wall (laughs) as far as i remember not particularly doing anything well i don't think that's meant to be part of the plot i think that's just a bit of color you know well no i didn't think it was meant to be part of the plot i just thought it was Bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> this is your opening credit sequence. I think that is the the intention. Okay, fair enough. In my notes, I've got that the opening credits are the first set of open credits that I've watched from start to finish without skipping for quite a while. I think. Yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed them. I thought they were pointless. <laughs> they were just pure nonsense. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, that, that's why I find it funny. I think that is the joke, and obviously, it was spoofing the serials that came before it so you know those kind of 1930s serials had a lot of uh, earnest depictions of people uh, slinking away from searchlights and getting caught and that kind of thing which had become a bit of a campy trope by the time this came out so i think that was the intention uh, the stunt work is really good during the opening action scene with the Batcopter. Pure West. <laughs> the the proper wide shots over the ocean where he's, the stuntman is actually climbing down the ladder. Yeah. Like, a fucking fair play. I thought that was all dodgy shot in close-ups, like nonsense. But then the big wide shots, it's like, Jesus, that's really good. While we're on that part, the ladder that was hanging from the Batcopter, <laughs> the sign Bat Ladder, <laughs> that just killed me. Yeah, that, I got that as well. <laughs> I've got a very long list of labels here. Hang on, where are we? Uh, shark repellent bat spray. Instant costume change lever. <laughs> yeah. Bat ladder. Interdigital bat sorter. Bat analyst. It just it goes on and on. Everything's labelled. They must be a couple of thickos. They just need a label <laughs> on everything. <laughs> <laughs> and then right at the end, there's a there's that molecular dehydration something other unit or something in there as well. I was like, jeez. <laughs> yeah, it's just made me chuckle right at the end. That was the last last time I laughed. I think I was just like, "Come on, get it over with." 
But um, yeah, the the back cockatoo is absolutely rubbish as well, isn't it? It's just like they just stuck a couple of bat wings to it and then put a couple of Batman stickers on it. There you go, I'll do. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the, the, one of the bits makes me laugh as well was when they're, they're flying over the town and they're waving at people like, oh, this Commissioner Gordon, oh, yeah, you're right. And then there's a rooftop full of girls with bikinis and just like, hiya. <laughs> I was yeah. like, what the hell is going on? Swinging 60s, that's what. My favourite joke in the film is it cuts to, is he like a, a Navy admiral or something like that? And he's just playing tiddlywinks with his secretary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got so little to do. <laughs> that really made me laugh. He was the guy that sold the submarine yeah, to, to Penguin. To- P P P Penguin. P Penguin. Oh dear, I haven't cocked up, have I, bad man? <laughs> well, the um, I saw while we were researching this, I saw a a quote from the the producer, and I think he's the the guy that came up with the series. His name's uh, w- William Dozier. Yeah, he was also producer or showrunner for uh, Green Hornet yeah. and a few others. But he described Batman as uh, kind of the only sitcom without a laughter track. Yeah. Yeah, in that way, it's kind of ahead of its time, isn't it? When I thought about it like that, I thought, wow, it, it was way ahead of its time. Yeah. Because you think, right, 70s, 80s, even 90s sitcoms still had laughter tracks. And, you know, and how sitcoms are now, very few have a laughter track. It's uh, 50 years ahead of its time. I think I got the DVD of this when I was about sort of 16, 17. And prior to that, I just thought that the, the old TV series was kind of campy and maybe a bit naff. And The Simpsons had made their spoof of it with uh, the Scoutmaster. Don't be afraid to use your nails, boys. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, that's a spoof of it. It wasn't until I watched the movie on DVD for the first time that I realized that it was intentionally scripted to be funny. And... Uh, that completely changed my view of the whole thing. And I, I think it's, it's really funny. Uh, some of my favorite lines quite early on, Batman is, is, uh, leaving and he says, so long. He walks away and stops, turns around and says, for a minute. <laughs> There's a ton of great lines when they're figuring out who is behind the plot. But my favorite one is, it happened at sea. See? See for Catwoman. <laughs> yeah. the, the best line of logic. That's on my list too. It's a water line. Um, another one where one of the pirates greets Catwoman. He says, Ahoy, Catwoman. And she says, Never use my real name. <laughs> uh, and then quite late on, Batman, who, you know, this is this is kind of a kid's show, right? And he's like the, the friendly version of Batman. But he says um, of, of one of the villains, I'll bash him brutally <laughs> so i thought the juxtaposition of that character in that line was quite funny <laughs> yeah there's a few of those uh when they're trying to work out the, the criminals the riddlers riddles there's a few great ones pretty fishy what happened to me on that ladder you're saying well there's a fish there could be a penguin <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I forget the riddle now, but the answer is a sparrow with a machine gun. What's weighs six ounces in in a tree is dangerous or something like that. It's like yeah. sparrow with machine gun. Yeah, of course it is. <laughs> the only possible answer. Yeah. <laughs> Forgetting that a, a, a machine gun would weigh significantly more than six ounces. That's the plot hole there. <laughs> what if it was a sparrow sized machine gun? Scaled it down. I don't think they factored it into the six ounces though. Carbon fiber. Yeah, I think a carbon fiber weapon would shatter. 
Get yourself out of that mountain, Batman. <laughs> I'm glad that once again your military knowledge is coming to the fore. Thank you. <laughs> my my favourite sequence coincided with one of my favourite lines. So it's when Batman's trying to get rid of that oversized bomb. <laughs> and there's nuns, there's children, there's brass bands. <laughs> he just goes, some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. <laughs> there's one other sequence that I just want to highlight. The first time that you see the United World Organisation all around the table arguing about what they're going to do. I'm pretty sure they're not speaking any known languages. They're just sort of making stereotypical yeah. sounds of their nations. So like the French guys, like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Asian ones are like, oh, oh. It's just like, Jesus Christ, this is mental. <laughs> and the UK guy's got like a little cup of tea. He's going, I say, <laughs> can we all agree? <laughs> Yeah, but you could see some. You could imagine a scene like that popping up in like a naked gun film as well, right? Where they do something oh, similar. Yeah. yeah, they definitely I think do. It, that, yeah. it, it's all right. Yeah, I, th- I think yeah. there is. Yeah, there's, there's a great scene where so it it had become a trope on the series by that point. Every, almost every episode was a two parter, and it would end with Batman and Robin in some kind of seemingly inescapable peril, tied up above a vat of sharks or something like that. And will the dynamic duo escape? Tune in, same bad time, same bad place, and the the bit in this is when they're tied to the buoy and uh, there's a missile coming towards them, a torpedo. Yeah. And uh, we don't get to see what happens, but they describe that a, a porpoise got between them and the torpedo <laughs> gave its life for them. Yeah, and there's four, four porpoises, four porpoises, and they say, thank, <laughs> thank goodness for those four porpoises that could give their lives so we could have ours. <laughs> I was like, Jesus The noble Christ. porpoise. <laughs> <laughs> the, the nobility of the almost human purpose. Just before that, they're, they're looking for fingerprints, and Batman uh, goes, "Salt and corrosion, the infamous old enemies of the crime fighter." <laughs> <laughs> what's it, what do they say about the? Um, it says something about what's po- what's pointing can write or something, and he says a, a banana pen or something. <laughs> it's like Jesus. Oh, yeah, but a ballpoint banana. But ballpoint banana, that's it, yeah. That's <laughs> <Bullpoint laughs> <banana>. howling. <laughs> yeah, just right through it, there's some just there's some lovely details, like like even just, just really kind of minor background things like when Bruce Wayne presses the button on the statue to open the, the secret uh, sliding door that leads down to the uh, the back cave. Batman and Robin's poles are different thicknesses. <laughs> I hadn't noticed. There's absolutely no reason for it, but <laughs> it's there. But it was not that much smaller than, than Adam West. No, maybe from what I've heard about Burt Ward, maybe it's Adam West overcompensating. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you think of the, the scheme itself? It's uh, it's not bad as it goes. I suppose one of the things I was trying to think of is different uses for the device. But what they do with it is neat in the sense that they only need to go to the the one location to kind of have effects that have ramifications on the entire globe by picking the equivalent of the UN. So I think that aspect of it is quite good. Did you not find it to be a bit scattershot? Well, they are insane, the four of them. 
Well, it's kind of got two very large flies in the ointment from the beginning, isn't it? And they they don't even Batman and Robin. They, exactly, they they plan for that <laughs> immediately. So it's like it's a pretty shit plan if they haven't even done their their pre planning yeah. to get rid of Batman and Robin. It's just like oh, we'll we'll do this, but then we'll immediately expect to get foiled straight away. So it's like what the hell? <laughs> I tell you what, just popped into my head with when um, Craig said what what was their alternative plan for the. Um, the dehumidifying mm. device isn't that pretty much the plot of batman begins the dehumidifying the water supply in order to release the fear gas so there you go yeah batman begins is a sequel to batman 66 i thought about that i was thinking or oh, surely you would dehydrate like the world's water supplies or food supplies and hold the world to ransom that way but then i thought i mean you could do that with gotham like they do in batman begins and you could hold gotham to ransom but that's small potatoes compared to the world, right? And it would take you forever to go around trying to affect every big city in the world. So that's why I said I think it was quite neat of them to pick the equivalent of the UN because it's one act that has global consequences. I was just going to add that in uh, Dark Knight Rises, it's actually established that Gotham is one of the financial centres of the world, and that's... uh, Yeah. they're planning that one. There is that. Ooh. There is that. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Did anyone notice that the Joker's one and only contribution to all of the plan was one jack-in-the-box springy trap? Not only did I notice that, it's what my plan revolves around. <laughs> <laughs> and the Riddler, the Riddler too, his only contributions I think without his contributions, I don't think Batman and Robin would have guessed what was going on at all. <laughs> that, that is his MO, right? He wants he wants to let Batman know what he's up to. <laughs> like all psychopaths, what he really wants is to be understood, right? That's that's why villains always reveal their plots in the movies. That's uh, Riddler's way of monologuing, isn't it? By just revealing it slowly through riddles. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, just to go back, there's one more line that I really loved. It was when the penguin was talking to Catwoman and she said something that he didn't like. <laughs> Shut up, you feline floozy. <laughs> he had a, had a lot of alliterative uh, insults, didn't he, uh, old Burgess Meredith? Batman, you're a bum. You've always been a bum. You'll always be a bum. <laughs> That's what I was thinking the whole way through. <laughs> Great cast as well, we should say. Yeah, um, what's her name? Lee Merriweather's still alive. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, I wonder how old some of these people are. And I was looking through, and and she was the first one, I think, credited. And um, so I looked her up, and she's at 87 now. Do you know what Burt Ward's up to these days? I think he's got a dog rescue centre, something like that. Wow, that is a noble act. He's probably probably only 18 or something now, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> This is the part of the show where our panel of peril compete for the title of this week's Most Diabolical, and with it the honour of choosing next week's movie and hosting the show. The fiendish fours aim to hold the United World Organization's Security Council leaders to ransom by use of a dehydrator machine that dried the hapless victims to dust was ultimately foiled by the dynamic duo. Gaz, what would you have done differently? Well, world domination is the aim. 
a ransom is needed. And in order to get it and kidnap the nine members of the United World Organization, I would seek to enlist the services of a couple more villains from the Batman universe's Gallery of Rogues. Or should I say the multiverse of rogues? To my mind, the kidnapping portion of the United Underworld's plan goes very well. They have the little piles of dust in place with their terms stated to the nations involved. The villains simply need some more manpower to foil the dynamic duo's dastardly scheme. A hulking figure enters the room and intones, You think the submarine is your ally? You merely adopted the submarine. I was born in it. Formed by it. Therefore, I propose they enlist the help of, firstly, Tom Hardy's Bane. Imagine the scene as he lifts Adam West Batman high over his head, slamming him down across his knee, shattering several discs in his spine. This part of the plan is contingent on Bats not having a can of bat spine repairing spray on his utility belt, however. Which he will have. Yeah, you've foiled your own scheme. (laughs) (laughs) Secondly, We're seeing double here. Four Riddlers, as we enlist Paul Dano's question mark garb trickster. Why, you might ask. What possible use are riddles in this endgame, not that one, situation? Why, (laughs) he just needs to cave Bert Ward's Robin's head in with his carpet tucking tool. (laughs) Holy bleeding to death on the floor from blunt force trauma, Batman. He could also stream live on Insta to help expedite the sense of urgency that each nation would feel to pay. Finally we will bring Christopher Walken's Max Shrek onto the sub. For no other reason than he's pretty rich, isn't he? So if everything else goes nipples north, the United Underworld can simply murder him to at least salvage some money from the situation, albeit several billion less. Sometimes you just got to cut your losses, haven't you? Do they have Instagram in the 1960s? Paul Dano's Riddler does. He, he was very much a pioneer of the Instagram scene. <laughs> so, so is this plot transdimensional sort of thing? <laughs> It's the multiverse. Multiple loose ends <laughs> to tie up, I'd say. So that's the problem with these multiverse plans, isn't it? They're a bit, a bit hard yeah. to follow because they do, you know, they, they bend time. And How does the uh, the villain set access the multiverse in your plan? Just some bollocks, some <laughs> fucking piece of shit they find. <laughs> <laughs> Same as all the movies. <laughs> Do they like draw uh, draw a face or something and just say, oh, look, here's a multiverse god and we'll just talk to him on a piece of paper? (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Problem solved. That is fantastic. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah, it's better than any of mine. That is as good as any of the other contrivances that have been, been added to movies. So, yeah, it works for me. All right, Turner, what would you have done differently? I've forgotten what I was going to say is the intro. Well, anyway, well, as I already said, yeah, I, I've just remembered. Here we go. <laughs> I've always, as I've already said, the, the, the plot is, although it's hard to tell from the beginning, to they want obviously want to, to dehydrate the members of the United uh, Nations, essentially. Um, but they have Batman and Robin to deal with first, but they don't deal with them first. They sort of deal with them mid-plot sort of thing so in in essence that forms the fl- the plot of the movie until batman and robin can sort things out so um the brains of the operation i would say is catwoman 
Uh, she's regularly reining the other three in. Well, they're the sort of three stooges once again of the movie. There seems to be a lot of three stooges reference from me at the moment. Yeah, so she recognizes they are all quite mad and probably their committal to Arkham Asylum is is quite correct. Realizing this and realizing her own weaknesses, um, she uses a feline charms to trick Joker, Riddler and Penguin into a privately created asylum, which she also commits herself and are interned there for an undetermined amount of time until they got their idiosyncrasies under control. Once they realize their foolish obsessions of the past, <laughs> they are more lucid and meticulous with their evil schemes. They can script, unwittingly, Harvey Two-Face Dent in a plot for the dual personality criminal to finally bring the Cape Crusader to justice. Free of their mental illnesses and habitual spending on similarly themed evil contraptions such as jet umbrellas and penguin-adorned uh, submarines. Their plans are ruthlessly planned to achieve their goal of eliminating the dynamic duo. Two-Face kidnaps the commissioner with help from the other supervillains, unbeknownst to Batman and Robin, and he intends to hold a kangaroo court to convict the commissioner and also to lure in Batman and Robin to stand trial for their crimes. As Batman and Robin suspect that Two-Face has stolen a nuke from a from an old nuclear submarine and intends to detonate it if they don't show and attend this kangaroo court. Completely unaware of being a patsy to the other four supervillains, combined with uh, uninhibited mental strength, Two-Face sits as a judge, but when Batman and Robin arrive at court, uh, they find, once again, once the trial starts, the dehydration machine pops up and they are quickly turned into piles of dust. Thereby, the four supervillains for the initial plot have eliminated Batman and Robin from their, their plot. They've also dehydrated the commissioner of the police in Gotham City, leaving the police force in disarray, completely powerless to prevent their wickedly devised plot succumbing to their ransom demands and eventually world domination. Uh, thank you. So the key point of your your plan is mental health. Yes, it's something. It's something. It's a, it's been a focus on for some time. Certainly has for me, and I think um, yeah, I think I think in this age of mental well being and being aware of our own mental well being and those around us, I thought it's quite appropriate. Yeah, I think that's an excellent idea. But is it realistic for for these particular characters? I think it was been cat my, my as Catwoman is my uh, protagonist of of getting the four into rehab sort of thing into uh, and to go to a psychiatrist and stuff like that. Yeah, is her ambition to be the ultimate criminal and to world domination? She's willing to do whatever it takes. Yeah, and she's she can understand her weaknesses. Yeah, I suppose where professional psychotherapists have failed, a woman who dresses like a cat might succeed in curing the psychoses of these villains yeah well it's a privately created asylum i did i did state that right so you did yeah it ticks all the boxes uh, craig what would you have done differently okay well it's evident from the outset that the alliance between the united underworld is an uneasy one they bicker they posture and some bring more to the table than others for instance the penguin provides the goons and gadgets he plays the part of schmidlap to infiltrate the Batcave quite bravely i might add Catwoman plays the part of Kitka to deceive Batman and Bruce Wayne, and she devises the getaway plan. 
Riddler does most of the planning at the outset, and he's the one who suggests kidnapping Wayne. So by comparison, the Joker seems to have uncharacteristically little input. Uh, and that reminded me of something else, which uh, will become apparent as I continue. Ultimately, they're all greedy and self-serving, destined to turn on one another when the opportunity arises. But initially, at least, pooling their resources makes sense, as each has tried and failed to eliminate Batman and Robin alone, where together they might prevail. Recently, during the press junket for Matt Reeves the Batman, Robert Battinson Pattinson and his Catwoman, Zoe Kravitz, speculated that Batman might be a virgin. This seems like a logical conclusion and may explain his broody demeanour. So instead of kidnapping Bruce Wayne and hoping to ambush Batman during his rescue, Catwoman should have exploited Batman's obvious attraction to Miss Kitka to get him laid, and therefore indifferent to his crusade against criminality. From there, it's a simple matter to sell the boy wonder into the seedy world of porno, where he would ultimately end up. With the dynamic duo out of the way, the villains are now free to focus on the real threat to their dominance of the underworld, each other. Cut to the headquarters of the United World Security Council, where our fearsome four have split to affect the pincer movement on the council chambers. From across the street, Catwoman and Riddler fire a rope to get access to the roof. Meanwhile, the Penguin and his pirate goons approach in a penguin-shaped transit van. Bluebeard tells Morgan, A three-way split ought to be plenty. Four ways, corrects Morgan. Don't forget the guy who killed Frank with the -the jack-in-the-box trap. Thinks he can sit it out and still get a cut. I know why they call him the Joker. Cuts a Catwoman and Riddler on the roof. Riddle me this. So, why do they call him the Joker? Well, says Catwoman, because of the trick confetti and stuff. Meow. (laughs) Ah, yes, says the Riddler and laughs. The Riddler turns to open the window, his back to the cat. He tells her, you know, the Joker told me to dehydrate the penguin. One less cut of the loot. Funny, replies Catwoman. He told me something similar. Cut to the only survivors, Catwoman and Joker, surrounded by piles of brightly coloured ash. As Catwoman asks, I suppose you're planning to dehydrate me? To which Mr. J responds, no, no, no. I dehydrate egghead. Catwoman is reduced to cat litter as Vincent Price grins maniacally. Little does he know, the Joker doesn't believe in society. So Vincent Price was also your Joker? No, Vincent Price is Egghead. Egghead, ah. Mm. He's a a villain from the series. Uh Aha. So ultimately, the the Joker's plan and the reason he he sits out most of the movie is behind the scenes he's working to stab everyone else in the back and take all the loot for himself. And you're working on the premise there that losing his virginity is more important to Batman than uh, fighting crime and keeping Gotham safe even once he's uh, popped his cherry. He doesn't know that, but, you know, he's all... He's all pent up, isn't he? And he's got all this rage and, oh, I'm going to fight criminals, oh, bloody criminals, and oh, I'm really sad all the time. But then Miss Kick comes into his life and you can see it in the scene where he meets her. He's like, holy shit, this is a, this is a woman. She smells good. What's going on? You know, in my bat pants. <laughs> and then... Is that my batarang or am I pleased to see you? <laughs> exactly, right? So, you know get him laid they've got nothing to worry about anymore he's no longer wound up tight he's loose he can go and dance the batusi while they get on with what they're doing maybe he realizes once he's uh popped his sherry that there's a whole world world of poontang out there and um this is just the beginning yeah he, he wouldn't have time to be going you know fighting the criminals of gotham or, or wherever
some absolutely diabolical schemes there, but there can be only one winner. We had Gaz's plan, which was a, a convoluted look into the multiverse. Turner's plan, which involved uh, <laughs> rehabilitation in Catwoman's uh, private asylum. And Craig's plan, which involved Adam West losing his virginity. Was Adam West or was it Bruce Wayne? I think Adam West was getting it all over. I'm talking about Batman slash Bruce Wayne. Anyway, that was only a small part of my plan. The rest of it was about double-crossing all the other villains. I think because of its relevance and uh, and its kind treatment of these four obviously very troubled individuals, this week's most diabolical is uh, Turner. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I must say, well-deserved it is as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah cheers that's uh i think we had three decent decent plans to put together pretty much i think they were pretty well thought out um but it was pretty tough composition this week i'd say it was close this week yeah it was what a uh, movie have you picked for us today so for next week's diabolical movie i have chosen 2004's team america world police excellent i don't think i've seen that since 2004 it's a suitably bonkers plot. Yes, exactly. Thank you for listening. If you haven't already, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you really want to do us a solid, tell your friends about us. We'll get more listeners, and you'll finally be regarded as a trendsetter like Tony Monero. Head over to Twitter and Instagram at DiabolicalPod throughout the week to tell us how rubbish our plans are and how you'd do better. You never know. We might be able to persuade Craig to do some personalised artwork for the ones that entertain us the most. Join us next week when we'll be discussing Team America World Police. And remember, if you can't be good, be careful.